ministers are supposed to be superhuman, and they're not allowed to say, hey, I need some time off. Ministry Burnout, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. everybody back to in the shadow of the cross i am lauren rosser and i am here once again with my friends jim durkin hello and michael harden i'm not here i'm burned out (laughs) he's burned out leading us right into what we're going to be talking about we are actually going to be talking about ministry burnout and you know it's interesting because there was uh, two different times where I spoke to two different congregations, and I opened up the message saying, "Has anybody in here ever experienced burnout?" And I would say ninety-five percent of the congregation said, "Oh yeah, I have." <laughs> it was like immediate connection with the congregation, and uh, so this is a topic I think is extremely familiar to people who have. Uh, been involved in church or ministry for any length of time. Um, I know I've been through this, um, and uh, and that was from a, a youth pastor stance and and doing volunteer work, Sunday school things like that. Both of you have served behind the pulpit and and even been pastors, and so I think you guys <laughs> probably have a lot to talk about on this one as well. So. Let's let's just start here because there's a lot we we can talk about on this. Let's start here. What do you guys think causes burnout? In my case, uh, I would would I became a pastor at 30, 30 years old and immature, very young and immature. I thought I was going to change the world. And uh, if you can't see Jim's laughing because I think he relates. Yeah. You know, and I, I lasted six years in the church I was in before I crashed. I crashed and burned really bad. I, I think for me, the factors would include church politics. I did not navigate church politics well. I didn't know how. Nobody taught me how to. I, I didn't do that well. Uh, the second was I had not, I had not developed a, an interior spiritual disciplined life like I have now. Uh, oh yeah, I prayed, you know, and read Bible and studied and did all that, you know, worshiped, you know, but, but I didn't have a place of inner peace where I was working from. I wasn't whole. I was still very broken. And, um, I'm trying to own all my pieces in this, you know, process rather than blaming up. Yeah. And I had low self-esteem. You know, if I preached to 100 people and 99 people shook my hand and said, thank you, Pastor, and one person said I disagreed, I'd go home and be be miserable, you know. Yeah, I I relate. So I think those were factors for me in the burnout, you know. I don't know about you guys. Those those are kind of my factors. I I think there's um, a lot of things that contribute to it, not the least of which is a whole wrong foundation upon which uh, laborers within the church, and that that certainly includes a pastor, but it really includes, you know, just about anybody who sees themselves. Um, it's, it's based on a foundation um, 
I, I was thinking uh, earlier today, there's songs that we sing that talk about the debt of love we owe. And Jesus gave it all, so how can we do any less? And, and you know, I work so hard for Jesus. I often, you know, and, and the songs that we sing indoctrinate us more many times than the preaching from the pulpit. Hmm. And it's it's a um, subconscious indoctrination, if you will. And, and so men or women that enter into a vocational uh, ministry enter it in with, you know, I need to give my all. And I know I grew up in a denomination that I think today I think their thinking would be slightly different. But when I was a kid, uh, the thinking of that denomination was that the highest sacrifice a minister could make was to sacrifice his family for the sake of the calling. Yeah, yeah. And, and, And so you never thought in terms of taking vacation time. You never thought in terms of turning down a ministry opportunity so you could spend time with your kids, you know. I mean, that was just, uh, that was, um, you know, that was right up there with the unpardonable sin, <laughs> you know, for a minister, you know. Right. And, and so when you approach things from that, when you add to it what Michael's saying, the personal thing, uh, I probably I was probably twenty four, something like that, when I began, and it was the Jesus People days. Everything was communal, but I began as a communal house leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was twenty nine when I took on my first church. And that was clear across country. I, I was born and raised in California. My first church was in New York. And I, like I say, I was 29. Um, the majority of the congregation were in their 50s. And so there was some resistance there that was just, okay, we have this young whippersnapper who's our pastor, and he doesn't, you know, know a whole lot about life yet. We've lived here in New York, and we've faced life, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we will let him go so far, but as as uh, Michael was saying, the church politics, you know, the board, the this, the that, the other thing. And... um just finding out that I thought I was making headway in a certain area only to find out that they were placating me, but behind the scene, they were, uh, you know, they were doing what they wanted to do or what they felt was better for the congregation. And uh, so, but I'm not going to blame them either. It's, they also learned a system that they learned. And uh, we see that in a lot of organizations where a young person kind of steps in and with all the, um, all the thoughts that they're going to, as Michael said, they're going to change the world. 
I'm going to, you know, I'm going to set the world on fire through my church and my church is going to be one of the mega churches eventually. And people are going to see that, hey, this 30 something, you know, is the next up and coming star. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I lasted about the same amount of time as Michael, about about six years. Yeah. Wow. I, I admire even being able to go that long. And, <laughs> and I admire you being able to be in your late 20s and, and work with 50-year-olds uh, because, you know, to be honest, uh, that was a big reason I stayed with youth ministry was because I was very uncomfortable talking to people who were older than me. And, uh, and now it's funny because now I'm in management at my job and it doesn't bother me so much because I'm 51. And so I'm older or the same age as most of the people there. So it doesn't bother me so much. And I realize that's the only reason. It's not because like I've grown and matured. I have grown and mature in my age. And so now I'm working with basically the same generation or younger. But, um, but it's interesting because I feel like I started out well, not because of my own wisdom or understanding, but because there were people around me when I was in your congregation, Jim, who kept me from going down that overworking, overburdened path. Um, when I first, um, there was a decision I had to make years back when I was um, in, uh, just had started going to your, uh, to Old Town Christian Center, Jim, where you were pastoring. And I was offered a youth pastor position back at the church I grew up in. And mm -hmm. I was agonizing over it because I had a lot of ambition in me and I really wanted to go after that. And I, but I was learning so many new things up there in Eureka that I was torn. And after praying about it, I really felt like, no, I'm supposed to stay And I, at your church. I was sweeping floors and they're offering mm -hmm. me a pastor, a youth pastor position. And I, and I felt like, no, I'm supposed to stay up there and sweep floors. And so I started well because um, I was surrounded by a network of people who were, I talked about how it was genuinely family. And they, and so even, even they were, I remember at one point the church was praying about who should become, you know, uh, praying about appointing some new deacons. And I was one of the people they prayed about and they felt like, no, we don't feel like we're, you know, it, we don't know what his purpose is, but we don't feel like it's, it's time. And I remember being, I wasn't mad, but I felt kind of a little bummed about it. But I realized now I'm so thankful for that because that was like this, protection from getting overwhelmed. But then when the spirit directed Lily and I to move to Sacramento, I had all that ambition in me still. And, uh, and then we got involved in a, another church and I didn't have those same kind of connections. And, and, uh, and I still had that ambition. I had a desire to please people, low self-esteem, like you guys talked about and uh, dove right into youth ministry. And really because of that desire to please people just uh, was set for burnout. Because, you know, you, you, you don't know how to say no. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to say no. And, uh, and, and like Jim, how you are, uh, Michael, I don't know, were you both bivocational when you were pastoring or were you able to get a full-time salary? I, well, I had a theoretical full-time salary. They gave us a parsonage and uh, about 12, it was about 12, 1400 a month. It wasn't much on Long Island for the 19, late, you know, for the 19, 90s, you know, uh, absolutely. We, not. we lived really at the poverty level, so I had to also wait tables. Exactly, that's what you I know. thought. So, so yeah, because I was I was working full time while I was youth pastoring, and so of course you've got full time work, 
you know, my family, I had my, Michaela was a little kid at the time. And, you know, and, and like you guys said, sacrificing family on the table and everything. And in the beginning, it's great. Cause you're getting all the praise, you know, it's wow. like uh, people were, people were loving what I was sharing and the, their kids were coming home from youth group, all excited. And so that was great. But then as you guys know, the years go on and after about three or four years of it, you know, I hit the wall. And, and I was burned out and I didn't know, but, but I felt trapped was the thing for me. Mm. I I felt trapped. I didn't feel like I was allowed to step down. And, and the, uh, and, and the big thing for me was like, you guys talked about church politics. I remember it felt a bit like the Wizard of Oz where the curtains pulled back because I had such a view of ministers and ministry and all this stuff. And um, really, again, it's me. It was my fault, not theirs, that I had them on this pedestal. And then seeing them as human and then uh, seeing all the machinery that's going on behind the scenes. And then I, I shared before on this podcast how I sat in that one meeting with the pastor and his, his wife, who was basically a co-pastor, and, and just realized they were miserable. And that was my aspiration at the time was to eventually become a pastor and just feeling like my world collapsed because I'm like, they're miserable. This is what I'm supposed to be going for. And I'm pretty unhappy right now. And it just felt like what's happening here. It's when your identity is in, it's such a fine line between following Christ and laboring because you're doing what he's doing and laboring because you're serving a system or a machine. And, and man, when, when your identity is in that thing, that's a devastating moment. So that, that, that was tough. So what, how would you help people get untangled from this? Well, there's a couple of things. One is um, training for ministry in the Protestant tradition. Uh, There's several ways. There's the no training at all, like the Mennonites and many of the charismatic churches. Then there is this fake theological education training that is done. uh, It's so-called schools that are not accredited, uh, which is just basically doctrinal dump being pumped in. Um, Then there's your, your uh, accredited university divinity school system. That's the one I want to talk about. So the, the first two that I mentioned to me, uh, because there's no training, no education, uh, you're, you're, all you're doing is you, you end up with personality cults. Whoever's got the cleverest, coolest, hippest, you know, ability to communicate why that one wins, you know, it's a, then it becomes a celebrity program really. But where there's authentic training for clergy, um, back when I was in seminary, um, there was a, there were the, the so-called spiritual component consisted primarily of going to chapel a couple of times a week, you know, um, I think I would have ended up doing a lot better had from the beginning of my seminary career to the end, we started with um, the importance of, of meditation, learning to listen, knowing yourself, you know, um, just, just coming to tra- just, just learning how to develop patterns of inner peace. But that wasn't part of it. It was all academic, you know, and 
and uh, practical courses, you know, how to run a youth ministry, you know, how to help old ladies crochet and make quilts, you know. <laughs> one, right. Three credit quarters, though. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, it's the... It's the way we train clergy, and then and then uh, here in America, uh, and, it just, and it's, I saw this in Africa as well. In Africa, there's no jobs to be had, and so everybody gets a call to ministry because ministers oh, have right. the right to call money in on themselves, right? <laughs> yeah. And I just can't begin to tell you the number of self-appointed apostles, prophets, bishops. Doctor, Reverend, Bishop, Apostle, who's it's no, you know, I mean these, and uh, just the ripoff programs that are done in Africa. But where do they learn it from? From here, us in the states, right? So, to me, it starts with training, um, but also um, I think we have to talk about. I want to see a better evaluation process for candidates. Uh, you know, a better initial opening process so that so that needs can be identified, particularly psychological needs, and worked through uh, before one gets out into the church and tries to work them out there. Yeah, good. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts there, Jim? Well, I'm weighing whether I want to <laughs> do something that perhaps will sound like a shameless plug for my book. Shamelessly put away, my friend. This is podcast. I was was thinking the same thing too. I started the book out with a with an experience that I had. I was in the pulpit. I was preaching. Uh, I was on probably my fifth or sixth church. Two or three of them I had started, and this was a church that I started with another fellow to minister to people who had been deeply wounded by the church. And we were not going to go the route of the typical organized church. We were going to be something completely different. And it took us about four years, five years to gradually go to the route of we were now an established church. I was clearly uh, the co-pastor. And I was the one that did a considerable amount of the preaching and whatever. I'm in the middle of the sermon, and I hear the I hear in my heart, I hear the Lord say, Are you done yet? Oh wow. And I look down at my notes and I have maybe a page of notes left, which is really strange because in my early days of preaching, I never, ever used notes. I just went on what the Spirit dropped into my heart to say at the moment, you know. And I had graduated to the place where I was. I wrote my notes out, my sermon notes. But in the, anyhow, I looked down at my notes and I said, almost. And then I hear it a second time. And I hear it just like this. Are you done yet? Oh. <sighs> And I looked in my heart and I said, yes, I'm done. I have no more sermons left. And then I hear, then walk away from it. And I had to pray for a couple of weeks to what is walk away from what? And I realized it wasn't just walk away from pastoring. It wasn't just walk away from preaching. It was walk away from all of it, not the Lord, but the whole structure. 
What I learned and what I write about in the book is I learned that the Church of Jesus Christ is a family. It's not an organization. And if I would have stayed with what I learned in the communal days, where we're a family and everybody contributes the part that they have to contribute to it, nobody would be reaching burnout. Hmm. But because we have these titled positions and we dump more and more responsibility on those titled positions, well, you're the youth pastor, well, you're the senior pastor, well, you're the, the children's ministry pastor, and that means you have to do this. And now we have this situation over here. So you're the pastor of that. You have to deal with that. And you have to deal. We don't let people have relationships with their family. We don't have let people have relationships in the church where they're honest and open. And, and in those relationships, we don't, I'm going to use a, a probably a bad word, but we don't play off of each other. We don't undergird each other in, in a true relationship. Like, you know what? I sense that you're getting a little overwhelmed. Let me take some of that on myself. I can step up and, and do that. And so we protect each other. Uh, but in the organized church world, um, that's not allowed. Ministers are supposed to be superhuman, and they're not allowed to say, hey, I need some time off, uh, you know. And uh, until they use that word, I'm reaching burnout. And then everybody's like, oh, okay, okay. Right. Let's, let's step up and be nice and give him a month off, you know. And, and it's like, because he's reaching burnout, <laughs> you know, or whatever. That weekly. Yeah. Yeah, that well, kinda, and then and you know, and then when they return from their sabbatical, if you will, then the church politics has kicked in, and there's safeguards so that he never reaches burnout again, you know, right. and, or whatever. And but it's not out of a heart of love; no. it's it's really out of a heart of control. And so, any anyhow. Over the next, now it's been almost 20 years, I've learned that, uh, you know, I hate to say it this way, but I've learned that I have to be first. I have to be first. And if I sense in my heart that, you know what, I, I don't have a calling to that, or I don't have the energy for that, or I don't have the passion for that, it's okay to say that even though I'm a minister. It's okay to say that because the person who does have the calling or the passion or whatever you want to say, by my not stepping up, and I I should have listened to this years ago in New York. There was a man, he was 54, 55, something like that. And he came to me and he said, you know why you don't get volunteers, Jim? I said, no, why? Listen to this wisdom. You're too good at everything. Oh. Nobody can compare to you. Nobody can compare to you. Wow. So they'll just let you do it. That's good. And that that's, was that's my really goal. Good. That was my goal. I set out to be good at everything. 
I set out to be a good worship leader. I set out to be a good preacher. I set out to be a good counselor. I set out to be a good comforter of the people who had a death in their family. I set out to, I pushed myself to do that. And it blew up in my face. Wow. It's it's interesting, Jim, because mine wasn't my experience wasn't as drastic as God telling me, "Are you done yet?" But it was similar in that when I we hit Lily and I hit that crisis point, and we finally got so burned out, we said we got to find out what's going on, and and we actually went back to Eureka, uh, you know where where we had met and you know where we were in your congregation, and we rented a little cabin right there in Trinidad, and uh, just prayed for the whole weekend. And the thing that God dropped in our hearts was you're just filling a position. You're not doing what you were created to be. Mm. Uh, you're not. And, and that was the turning point. But here's the thing that was weird. We were so, especially me, I was so entangled in all of that, that it seemed too good to be true mm-hmm. that I could actually let go of this. Mm-hmm. And I was scared um, because I don't know. I guess it's almost like I was a glutton for punishment or something. Like I thought the Christian life was supposed to be miserable, you know, and, and, and that, so the thought of being able to be free from being so overwhelmed all the time um, was both joyful, but I was terrified. Plus I had to go back and disappoint everybody um, by letting them know I wasn't going to be continuing in that position. Um, And here's one of the things that uh, a few years ago, I heard somebody say this, and I don't know who it was, but they said, obedience isn't so much measured by what it costs you, but by what it costs others. And what they meant by that is when you obey God, I have found that usually, I mean, there's the cross, there's the things Jesus went through. So we don't want to take this to too much of an extreme, but I'm, but what I'm talking about is, that there is something that when you're obeying Christ, there is a sense of joy in what you see him leading you to do, but others who have expectations of what they want you to do will be disappointed. And and not because they're mean, you know, but they want a youth pastor for their kids. They want, you know, this this person doing that. They want you to do this thing. And it's not because they're mean, evil people, but it's it's gonna and, and the youth, you know, I love those kids, but they, you know, wanted me to stay their youth pastor. And and it was heart wrenching to realize I'm gonna disappoint all these people. But I knew I was supposed to step away. Um and so, Jim, yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying ab- about that. And, and it's interesting. I never thought about that, how you can become so polished that you force yourself to stay in that position. That that was really good. That was a, that really got me thinking. I, I've thought about it before. I didn't think about it earlier, but I did the same thing. I was I made myself the one that could do everything and do it the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even I – even, went to a local um, sound uh, store, an audio store, and took classes on the soundboard. So I oh, knew wow. how to mix the sound for the, for the, you know. And so I'm telling our sound men how to do things. And none of them went off in my face. None of them like, who do you think you are? But over time, they just kind of like, you know what? I think I think I'm supposed to go to a different church, or or, or I think I'm supposed to do something else. I, I I really don't have a passion for the sound anymore. So guess what? I'm there 
45 minutes before the church service starts setting up the sound. Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. It, it's interesting because it, on the flip side, you know, as I stepped out of that youth pastor thing, you know, Father has led me into different things like like doing this podcast here and I've worked with my friend Steve on a video series, worked with my friend David Fredrickson on a video series. But it was interesting, Jim. It was like you said, there was a grace to everything I did. And, and, but mm-hmm. here's the thing, um, especially like the younger generation, I want them to catch though is, is grace doesn't mean it's always easy. Um, also it, 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 it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like every day. I mean, there were days when I did not feel like going through four hours of video footage to find the good, you know, the good clips, but there was something in me that it wasn't a burden, if you will. And, uh, it, it was interesting because where with youth ministry, it's like, I felt like I couldn't even get up anymore. You know, I, I yeah. couldn't even, yeah. there was, there, it, there was something different about it. Um, it wasn't just like, this is, this is a, 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 a task that I have to, that needs to get done to get to the well, goal. It was, there was, they, they, have, a, what, what was they have a little pillow for when you can't get it up for ministry anymore. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Walked uh, right into that one. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> But uh, but it was funny because um, I was working on this video project with a friend of mine, and and uh, you know he has a real passion for teaching, and uh, and he 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 goes, you know, I, he was so concerned about me being overwhelmed, and he he kept um, the opposite of what you're talking about, Jim, where he kept wanting to make sure I wasn't burning out, and I had to say to him, I go, you know that passion you have for teaching, I go, I have that for video. And I go, so you don't have to worry about it. I'll let you know if I'm burning out, but I'm, I'm good because I love doing this. And so it's just interesting how, because he's in such a different place for him, it looked hard and miserable, but for me, it was a joy and a love. And I think that's kind of the thing when you're doing what you're wired to do, like Michael hitting those reading 50 books a year. I think I read four. (laughs) I was reading over 300 books a year. It's, that's what I mean. It's fifty a month, <laughs> exactly. Well, probably some months I did that. Yeah. Well, it, what you what you're saying there, Lauren? You used a word, and I and I, it's a word I've come to greatly appreciate, and it's that word grace. Paul talks about in one place. He says, "It's through that grace that I am an apostle." There's a there's a gracing to do your job. Now, that does not mean that he did not have some very low periods of time. One time he said, I, I even despaired of life itself. You know? We we have to look at those kinds of things. But when I stand I I'll give you another story. There was a young man that was a very talented piano player, a good singer. And he felt that uh, he should be the worship leader. And so he came to me and he told me that. And we we were struggling to find a a consistent worship leader. So I told him, I said, okay, uh, that sounds good. But I want to share something. I want to share a principle with you. I only want you to be our worship leader as long as you have the grace to do it. When you feel that grace lift off of you, and it will happen, mm-hmm. I want you to be honest, and I want you to tell me. And he was, like I say, he was a young man, 
full of zeal and vim and vigor. And he was like, oh, no, that will never happen. I will never lose my power. Yeah, I will never forsake you. And it was probably two to three years later. Yeah. And it was in the middle of a worship set. And he just stopped and he motioned for me to come up to the platform. And he leaned over and whispered in my ear. He said, Jim, I don't have the grace to do this anymore. Wow. And I said, fine. Then worship's over tonight. And I just said, you know what? We're going to cut our worship short today. I'm going to go ahead and, and share. And, and we're going to let you out a little early today. And I just told him, I said, you know what? He said, well, well, but they're expecting me to be back next week. And I says, I don't care. I don't expect you to be back next week. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what will we do? I said, we'll go to canned worship if we have to. We didn't. We had another person to step in. And he turned out to be a good worship leader. But, um, but the point being, you won't reach burnout if you really know yourself well enough to know, you know, do I have grace to keep doing this? If I do, keep doing it. If I don't, you know, Lauren, you've done you've done things. I, I remember when you uh, drove up to uh, Eureka, uh, you know, with with your friends from Sacramento and stayed with me. You were doing a podcast. You were doing some a lot of other things. Uh, yeah. You know, some video clips. You were doing some kind of funny cartoon video clips and stuff. You don't do those things anymore. Why? No. Because, because the, the season grace ended. to do them ran out. Or, or yep. there's a good word, the season. It yep. ended its season. Um, we may end this podcast at some point in time and say, you know what? We've gone as far as... We feel the anointing of the Lord or the grace of the Lord or the season of this thing. And we may end it at some point in time. When we get our fifth and, listener, uh, let's wait until we get our fifth listener. Then we'll end it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I don't, but if we were to push it beyond that stage, oh, but now we have so many listeners and we can't let them down. If we're trying to drive the the bus when it's out of gas, we're going to get burnout. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons we do. I think that's one of the reasons people do reach burnout is at some point in time, they step away from or they step beyond the grace of the Lord to do what they're doing. Yes. And, and Jim, this is so crazy because what you just shared about the worship leader – I was going to share something along. I didn't know that part of the story. Did this worship leader happen to lead a home group? At the time, I don't remember. Maybe. Okay, because the reason Maybe. I ask is I, I think this is the same person. Um, when Lily and I were getting ready to move to Sacramento, and I was actually wanting to share this today. When we were getting mm. ready to move to Sacramento, um, he comes up to me and he says, I want to share with you something that I learned. And he goes, hopefully you'll take it to heart. And he goes, because I didn't. And I learned the hard way um, to, to listen. And he goes, he goes, if you find yourself in a position of leadership and you feel the grace lift for you doing that position of leadership, stop. Mm -hmm. 
And I proceeded to do the same thing he did when he listened to you, Jim. I ignored it. <laughs> and same thing, found myself in that yeah. youth pastor position, ignored it and burned out. And, uh, but it's so wild that that, that was the same. I, I'm almost positive. That's the same person who I'm you were just talking sure it about. Is. Yeah. 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 There's only one person I've ever shared that wisdom with. And I <laughs> <laughs> shared it with the whole world. Yes. <laughs> Michael, sir, take it kick kick the can down the road a little bit further. Exactly. The um Pew Research Institute who they, they do absolutely marvelous research on church demographics. Uh, many years ago, many 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 years ago, um began doing, you know, clergy burnout surveys. And they found that um Depression, alcoholism, suicide rates are very high amongst clergy. And um, just in reflecting on my own burnout, I, I think a major part of the problem is the, the, in the Protestant tradition, pretty much in America, the pastor has to preach in such a way that he's, he's, every sermon is a litmus test in a way. And when the sermons don't jibe with the congregation, the giving tends to go down. Mm-hmm. And so I realized early on that, you know, I, I preach from my wallet. Ooh. You know, I don't, I don't preach from scripture. I preach from my wallet because I need to keep my job. And then after I left ministry uh, and over the next decades would talk to ministers and particularly this last 15 years that I've been back out there, you know, in the churches doing work, so many of them have said, I can't tell my congregation what I believe. What I believe and what I teach them are two very different things. And they don't have, they don't have, the, the, they've made the deconstructed, deconstruction, reconstruction kind of thing in their own, or, or they're moving through it somehow. But they would, they would never tell their congregation this, you know. And I think that discontinuity can create a spiritual crisis. So the, the whole model, the model is built to chew through clergy, the Protestant model. Now, the Methodists, you know, they rotate every five years, you know. So you get a pastor in and they're really good. You only got them for five years. But you get a pastor in, you don't like, but it's okay. You only got him for five years. And they move him around. So I I think that's kind of a better system, you know, rather than the seminary, the way the modern system is, seminary students graduate, they get these little teeny tiny churches that are in the middle of nowhere, really struggling, you know, dominated by one or two big families in the church. Well, if they can make it through that, then they get bumped up to an associate pastor position in a three, 400 member church, you know, and, and if they toe the line and, and glorify the senior pastor, eventually they'll get their own church, you know, and of course, salary keeps going up, pension keeps going up, blah, 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 keeps going, you know, that's the system. And it's, it's not built, it's not built to support at all the young pastor. I mean, when I was out there, I had no support, none. I was by myself. And if we're, we're going to send people from seminary to churches, there needs to be support systems where they're talking to someone every week for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of things have to change. I think in the educational process, as well as the the uh, spiritual dynamics of pastoral formation. I think also in our seminaries, we have to. I don't particularly like, uh, you know, gift or anointing, uh, you know, identity test, like, you know, answer these 7,000 questions and we'll tell you what your gift is. But I do think that there has to be something, whether it's on a psychological basis uh, or, or whatever, where a person before they graduated from seminary, they have a pretty good understanding of who they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And and to the point where when they step into a church situation uh, in a lead role, if, if the board starts to dump on them like, well, you're the pastor and you need to do this because our last pastor said, you know what? You got the wrong person. I've I've shared this on several podcasts in the past. I'm um, charismatic. I don't apologize for that. I'm very administrative, but I'm also very intuitive. I'm very prophetic in my gifting. And I've told the last several churches I pastored, I said, you need to right now decide what you want. Do you want the administrator? Or do you want the visionary? Because you can't have both. So if you want the administrator, then you're not going to get the visionary. Because my my nose is going to be in the programs and the developing. If you want the if you want the um, visionary, you know here's the way walking in it kind of thing. Then get somebody else to do the administration because I'm not doing both. I will not do that. But I was in my late 50s before I learned to do that, that up until then, I was trying to do all of it. Wow. And and it was clashing. I wasn't good at any of it, in spite of the fact that I thought I was excelling in all of it. Back of all kids, master of none, huh? I was exactly. just thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah Exactly. Wow. So what advice would you guys have for somebody? You have somebody who's in a, in a ministry position because it's easy to talk about stepping down and stuff, but you got somebody who their livelihood depends on this. You know, they, what, what would you tell somebody who's in that place? They're burned out and they're looking for help. And what advice would you give them? Get it, get the help, get the help. Yeah. Get the help. what their needs are you know um some for some a psychologist would be important for some a, a psychotherapist you know or a, for some a psychiatrist even for others a spiritual director uh, and yet for others a small group of brothers or sisters or a combination thereof that are meeting faithfully and nurturing each other you know I'm, when i when i was a pastor in long island um, they had a ministerial group, and the ministers met once a year to do Thanksgiving service, and that was it. And I tried to—I'd go to the different churches and see if you know the minister had time to hang out. Nope, they were ne- never no 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 interest. Everybody was doing their own little kingdom building. There, there was no 
place where one could unburden one's heart without judgment, you know. Right. Um, so the, the, the whole system is just really, like I said, it's set up to kind of just go through clergy like gasoline, you know. The church is the car, the clergy are the gas. Wow, yeah, that's that's a good analogy. I would also add to that, find something recreational that you can become passionate about and do it often. Lovely advice. Minimum of, minimum of once a week. Yeah. And an elongated period of, of time doing that, uh, two, three days, Every couple of months. I, I, I'm going to say uh, it's awesome. That is just brilliant, 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 brilliant. Yeah. I and, and, and it has to be something that if you bring other people along, you don't use that for a time to minister. Right. Just div- divest yourself of everything. Mm-hmm. And I have, a, I have a very good friend of mine that he lives in Colorado now. And his passion is four-wheeling, basically. And he puts stuff on Facebook, and he's on the edge of a, a cliff, you know, 10,000 feet up in the, you know. It's like with his four-wheeler and his mud's all over everything. And he's like, man, this is the most fun I've had in months, you know. And, and you know, and then he, he comes down off the mountain, and then he does his ministry. And then he wonders why his wife made him sleep on the couch. <laughs> no, his wife's <laughs> half the time. She's right there with him. <laughs> she's wonderful. But, uh, but yeah, and, 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 and who cares what it is, yeah. you know, except chasing a little white ball around with a club. I mean, forget that. But, uh. <laughs> well, if, if I may, if I, if I may, to your point, Jim, I had – when I was a, a young pastor, the natural world held no interest for me, even though I'd been a, boy, a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout, things like that. It wasn't until after I did my wilderness survival training that I learned how to walk into the natural world and allow it to reshape me and heal me. I That's a skill I, I'm going to agree with you. We need to teach every single person that's going to go into ministry. They need to be able to walk into a park and just ground themselves, you know, let the thought processes go, let all the nonsense in their head and all the scenarios that are playing out and all the crises and just, and let them go. They need to learn to surrender, you know, and had I learned those skills back when I was in my twenties, I would have been a very different preacher, but I'd have been a very different husband and father as well. But I didn't learn them in my late forties. Don't look at the trees for an illustration for your next Sunday sermon. Look right. at the trees to see the beauty of the tree or whatever. Well, you know, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll that's a great you. point. I'll one-up you. Tree preach. Preach to the trees. Okay. They, they're a very active congregation. And when you preach to the trees, you preach with emotion. You preach with passion. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And yeah. When you, that's, that's, that's another whole level, Michael. Yeah, but... And and I agree with but you. Tree it really is so important. I, I tree preach all the time yeah. because they the mm-hmm. listen. The trees listen without judgment, and and, and yes, will often receive. I'm not going to call it a message. I'm not going to even because it's not about words, and it's more yes. deeper than emotions. 
but there's something that happens that allows me to just walk out with gratitude and, and, you know, yeah. yeah. Wow. That, that's really good. I, I was just thinking, I couldn't help but think though, when you're talking about find something that you love, I'm like, okay, so the, the pastor on the Simpsons with his trains has it right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's how he survived all those years. <laughs> He's not, it's not wrong. That's, that's interesting. It's not wrong. Yeah, but I, I thought that was just some really good advice because, I mean, is that not the same thing that the business world has understood, has got that down? That, that's why you'll see, like, you know, these business leaders that engage in these, you know, extracurricular outside activities, sports, and, you know, things like that, you know, just to disengage from the work world. But I really like, Jim, how you said, um, I, I love what you said, Michael, about preaching in the trees, but I also totally connect with what Jim said about um, about not not preaching your your next not getting illustrations for your next sermon. Oh, you know, because dear I, God, don't don't because that's that that's like something I used to do all the time. Is anytime I pick up the Bible, anytime I do anything, when I was a youth pastor, it was always for the next meeting, the next gathering, the next thing. It was and and it made me, to be honest, it, it made me hate the Bible for a while. Um, I had to like disengage from it for a season just so I could learn to love it again because it became work. It, not good work, not digging in work like you do, Michael. But I'm talking, I'm talking like like misery work, you know, weeding the yard kind of work, you know, where it's like I. And finally, I started to love it again. But it, it's that thing of it's kind of like when a when a, a teacher makes you read a book you don't want right. to read. You know, it started, it started to become that way where normally you would pick up that book. If the teacher doesn't tell you, it's like, this is a great book, you know? And so it started to have that. So I think that's some great advice that you guys gave. So in what advice would you guys, if, if you could take somebody who let's say, cause we always say the, the young guy coming out of seminary, but let, let's take the guy who's, who's older, girl, who's a let's woman. say middle-aged or woman. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me on that. Um, absolutely. Um, for, for the woman or, or person who's in ministry, um, what advice would you give them now? Learn to eat sawdust without butter. (laughs) That's what George Ladd told me when I was going to study theology. He said, son, you better learn to eat sawdust without butter. But, but there's truth in this. Think about this. I mean, Look, look, ministry is, um, when you're first in it, it's glorious. Yeah, when you're first in it, you're full of ideas and energy and pep and vigor, and you can go that way for about two, sometimes three years, you know, maybe four if you're still going. But, but there comes a point at which the creativity has converted itself to routine, where the things you've developed – uh, get stuck. They're not even allowed to change or morph because uh, that's not how you conceive them. I, I think for for a lot of us, uh, we go into ministry to help others uh, when it's we that need the help. Wow. And so we project our hours, as I certainly did. You know, um, I would make a great pastor now. I mean, a lousy pastor then. But I hadn't gone through the life lessons I needed to learn in order to be able to walk people through it until this age. Um, I guess finally what I would say is your gospel matters. If you have a God that's Janus-faced, ministry is going to be a bitch. But if you have a father that loves you and you know this and it's all good and circumstances aren't 
uh, a barometer of the love, Father's love for you, you'll do a whole lot better because even when you go through a crisis, you'll know that you're loved by the Father, and you know, and it's and, and no matter how it works, how it ends, you're still loved. And sometimes they end in crucifixions, and it's a terrible yeah. thing to see. Yeah, that's true. Does that make any sense? It it, it makes a lot yes. of sense. Oh yeah, yes. I've I've I've. I've walked with people even through their crucifixion where uh, I have, have a friend of mine who, who was a pastor and, uh, and we knew from the time he took the position that that was going to be coming. And, uh, and, and not because, you know, we saw like an evil congregation or anything. We just, something, God just kind of dropped something in us that that's down the road for him. And, uh, and, and it's a painful thing to, to, watch them go through and for someone to go through. And it's, it's very real. Cause um, like you said, that when, when you, when you're in that position of pastor, especially with the, the modern day view, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, this is a bad illustration, but I'm going to use it just because it makes the point. It, it, it's like how Kings were like the scapegoats of society. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have a King right. and if the crops were good and everything was doing great, they were, they were praised, they were adored. But if things went bad, they were blamed and scapegoated and, you know, all that. And, and that's kind of what happens with pastors. It's like, if the church isn't growing, like they want it to, the things aren't happening like yeah, they want it yeah. to, you know, get, guess who, who becomes the brunt of all that? Who becomes the scapegoat? The yeah, pastor. exactly. Over the years, I've learned a lot, even though, even though I learned it intellectually, I didn't know how to implement it. Maybe. But one of those things was at a very, very early stage in ministry, and that's that the the Church of Jesus Christ is a family. It's relational. And I think if I were to counsel somebody, a man, a woman, I don't care what age they are, go into that situation putting the emphasis on relationship, on truly getting to know each other, having each other's back, but at the same time, truly getting to know the Father. What what Michael just said about God our Father, if you've been around religion for any length of time, you've got, in most cases, you have a wrong understanding of who the father is oh yeah so you cannot still have in the background this wrong concept of you know god's love is balanced by his justice is you know in condemnation and and conviction and you know all that stuff you can't have that concept in the background and Make your focus getting to know each other and enjoying each other and, and you know, balance and checks and, you know. But you have a wrong concept of God. You've got to come to that concept. And it cannot be through the 20, 30, 40-minute lecture style. It's got to be in that relationship that you, that everybody can kind of bring something to the table and, and it's in dialogue. It's in living life together. It's in, now the problem is that most churches will never let you to approach it that way. They're like, no, 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 no. We, we have a men's group. We have a ladies group. You know, we have a social once, you know, a quarter. 
but we want you up in the pulpit preaching and tell us what to think. Yeah, tell us what to think. And, you know, of course, I won't say it that way, but but still. And I would never, of course, I don't think I ever will anyhow, but I would never take a church that wants to put that on me. I'd tell them right out front, look, my goal is to make a family out of this thing with the father as the head of the table. So we're going to get to know him. And we're going to get to know who he really is, not what religion has taught us. You want me to be your pastor? Then jump in the car and let's ride together. Otherwise, bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and I would tell anybody that wants to candidate for ministry, go for relationship over role, title, and position. Yeah, and it's really good what you guys were talking about with um, about the right God perspective, the right perspective of Father. Because as you guys were talking, I was remembering because I didn't understand any of this stuff back when I was a youth pastor, and I carried a ton of bricks of shame on me all the time. It was like trying to function already with something that was heavy and now tying hundred pound weights around my ankles. Cause I just dealt with shame constantly. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I've lived in a, a reality where I thought God was, I was always making God upset was just my, my perspective. So everything I did, there was like a double whammy. It's like, I'm having to please the congregation and I'm having to keep God happy. You know, my, my world drastically changed when, when I got a hold of the reality, not just in theory of God truly being love. And first time I, I've shared when I heard first Corinthians 13 read is God is patient. God is kind. I started crying because it's like, I didn't grasp that. And I can tell you my universe, my reality would have functioned completely different had I, had I understood that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, re- really good stuff, you guys. Man, can you believe it? we're already at time? I believe it. Um, we're always, we always have such a good time that the the time that we have together goes by really too quick. Yeah, this this was a blast, and I got a lot out of this one. Thank you, you guys. Um, and just want to say to everybody out there, thank you for listening. And uh, folks, Jim mentioned his book several times. It is a good read, and it really goes along well with this topic. Jim, where can people find your book? It's uh, Dying of Thirst on the Bank of the River, and it's available on Amazon. Great. And Michael, also a lot of your material really helps. Like uh, we were talking about the shame issue, really helps with this stuff. Michael, where can people find your, your materials? Yeah, Amazon.com and YouTube. All right. Well, thank you guys and everybody out there. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you all next week. 